0: Paramedic 43, District 1, Engine 51, response, cardiac arrest.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. Dr. Rob Dixon here with another episode of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. Today we have our clinical chief, Jordan Anderson. Hello, Andrew, everyone. And uh, Andy Adams on the board. And our special guest for today is Dr. Peter Antebi. So Peter is a uh, nationally recognized EMS expert. Lots and lots of uh, interesting bio on him. Uh, and welcome, Peter.
2: Hey, Rob, Jordan, Andy. How you guys doing?
1: Hey, really, nice really, really well. Really, really well. We, you know, we, we struggle with some technological issues today, but it's emergency medicine. So we're just making it work. Making exactly. it work. Hey, uh, to start off, you know, we we wanted to talk to you a little bit today I know that you have a long history and a really, in my view, a thought leader in in stroke, uh, and especially large vessel occlusion stroke. Can you tell us a little bit about what brought this to you? I mean, what what piqued your interest in this? How'd you get started in it? And a little, just a little bit about that history.
2: Right. So, so actually, um, as everyone knows, and as you ma- mentioned, I'm I'm trained in pediatrics and pediatric emergency medicine. And uh, when I became a medical director in 2010, I kind of just ramped up and, and had to learn about adults, right? But why, why stroke is, is really something that, m- that matters to me. And I'm not going to stop until the problem is fixed because my grandfather, uh, may rest in peace, uh, many years ago when I was a fellow in Pittsburgh, at Children's of Pittsburgh, developed a stroke. Uh, it was in the middle of the night. And he somehow or another kind of got my grandmother to wake up. He came to the hospital that I... I've, ended up working at years later and and unfortunately everything went wrong and so i I, I got on a plane i flew i flew to uh, you know to Hollywood where the hospital is and it's again it 's a great hospital it 's just that back then how stroke was being taken care of didn 't match what we can do today and Unfortunately, my grandfather had a very bad outcome and he was in a vegetative state for many years it just it just it, it hurt me so badly to see what had happened and when I became a medical director and I started to understand exactly what's happening from the EMS side into the hospital side, that's when I realized that there had to be a way to change it. And the epiphany for me, Rob, I could tell you, is that I realized very quickly that EMS is the change maker. And there is no, there's no other entity in healthcare today that can make positive change, right? only for the good of the people then EMS. And so that, that's how I got into stroke in such a passionate manner.
0: Hey, doctor, what are stroke systems of care and why do we need them?
2: Okay, so stroke systems of care are uh, extremely important. And because if you look at a patient from the moment that they have a stroke until they're discharged from the hospital and even months later, a patient who's having a stroke, for them to a- actually navigate through the system to actually get out the other side and be someone who can actually have a high quality of life, and in that case, it's basically a modified ranking of zero, one, or two, those people need to have a system of care that helps them navigate the system. And so if you're an EMS provider and you take that patient to the wrong hospital, then that patient will not have a good outcome. If you're a patient who's actually gone to a hospital and that hospital doesn't have a sequence of events that's pre-programmed, then that patient will not have a good outcome and so a stroke system of care aligns all of those things within the community for that specific patient to give that patient the best outcome and so it is so complicated the the actual steps that have to go through that e- these patients have to go through to actually have a good outcome is so complicated that if you don't have a system of care in place, it will never
1: happen. Right. That's a great lead into our next uh, question for you, which is, how did you, what are your building blocks there, especially in this new era of large vessel occlusion stroke? How did you build your system there in South Florida? And can you, can you tell the, the listeners a little bit about your, your system, especially pertaining to large vessel occlusion disease? Sure.
2: Yeah, so Rob, I, I think that's the first thing I should say is that every, every region is different. And so there may be people listening to this who only have one hospital or maybe don't even have a comprehensive center. We, we have the exact opposite problem. We have too many comprehensive centers. We have too many primary centers. And so the first thing that we did, Rob, and um, I was very fortunate in that we, we recognized early on that there's one person at the hospital who's the difference maker. And that is the neurointerventional physician, meaning the person who's going to go in and grab that clot out of the patient's brain is probably the most like us as EMS people, right? Obviously, being in, in EMS, um, we're all kind of like-minded people. And it turns out that the, neuro- the neuro-interventionalist has that same drive and passion for doing the right thing. So the step that happened first that really made this whole thing happen in a special way is that we had two, two guys. Uh, one is named Dr. Brijesh Mehta, and one, is, one other one is uh, Dr. Ryan McTaggart. Those are neurointerventionalists who understood that EMS is really a partner to have for this type of thing. So once, once we got together, we started to actually bring other people together to say, hey, how could we make these two stars align on the EMS side and the hospital side? And that, that was really the very first kind of spark that started this whole thing.
0: So, Doc, our system's kind of in between. We have a couple comprehensive centers. Uh, We have primary centers and and ultimately seven or eight different hospitals that we can transport strokes to. So we're kind of struggling the the right facilities to get the right patients. Um, So I have a lot of respect for the system that you were able uh, to develop in South Florida to kind of answer that question. When we're we're trying to pick the hospital uh, and capabilities, we kind of make the the analogy uh, that EMS stroke approach is kind of where we were with STEMI care about 20 years ago. Do you agree Mm -hmm. or disagree with that statement?
2: Oh, I I, I 100% agree with that statement. And let me tell you what we're doing to kind of overcome that, not not just for us locally, but um, at the Eagles Conference this year, we're going to hopefully announce what we're trying to do uh, on a national level. Um, And so, for example, you sitting there in your chair right now, do you know those hospitals in your area, which ones are doing the best with respect to treatment times and treatment outcomes. Is that, is that available to you at your fingertips?
0: We do. It's taken a massive amount of work on our part. The only way you know how good those hospitals are is by
2: you having to go and pull that information from them, right? Absolutely. Right. And so that's unfair and that's not called for. So what we've done is we've actually partnered with uh, a group at the University of Miami who who created a mechanism where they can take the American Heart Association's Get With the Guidelines data that the hospitals are putting in. They take that information and they, they actually crunch the data and they send each hospital a dashboard. And that dashboard actually shows them how they're doing in every single me- uh, metric that's important compared to the other local hospitals. And so for the very first time without any EMS involvement, you don't have to make any phone calls. There's no emails that have to happen. You're going to get a dashboard that says that hospital A is doing really well with door-to-needle time, door-to-CT, picture-to-puncture, all those important times and even the 90-day outcomes, which is what we're really targeting. So I think that if there's a way that any region in the country can just sign on and say, I want to be part of this process. Then we have a winner on our hands. And that's
0: really what we're working hard to do right now. So you've just tried to get the all the players involved with the hospitals and EMS to to agree to the, the same mission of improving stroke care and getting the patients to the right place. And you've been successful with that. So congratulations. Well, well uh, you know what? I'll tell you what.
2: It's taken, it's taken us a lot of time, but it's also taken for us as EMS physicians and EMS you know, leaders in the field like Rob and so forth and all you guys there. We, we have to stand up to these hospitals and say, these are our patients, and we expect the data. So it can't be a, hey, will you please share it? They, they need to understand that those patients are our patients as well. And once EMS leadership stands up in a community and says – we're going to do this in a very fair way, right? We're not being unfair. There's no conflict of interest whatsoever, right? No one's making any money off of this, and we're only doing it for the patient's benefit, and we know that the data backs us up now. So um, if, if anyone listening to this podcast is in a community where the hospital's not treating them right and so forth, I think EMS is, where, is who has to stand up and really make the difference happen and I'm committed to that.
1: Right, right. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more, Peter. You know, let's let's circle back a little bit. We're talking about large vessel occlusion stroke. We start off uh, talking about stroke systems of care and building uh, a stroke system of care. Can we circle back and can you talk about the evolution of endovascular therapy in the last 24 months uh, for large vessel occlusion?
2: Yeah, that that's so, you know what, I'll start back in, in, in 2012 where um, we, we first started this process of trying to quantify a stroke in the field, meaning that what we used to do here in Broward County and Palm Beach County is that any stroke just went to the closest hospital. And then we said, hey, you know, we have all these comprehensives around who actually can perform a mechanical thrombectomy. Why don't we try to pick out the more severe strokes and take them th- to the comprehensive? So there's a gentleman by the name of uh, Dr. Paul Banerjee. He's he, he just, you know, in my opinion, just a, a great thought leader up in the middle of the, a state in Florida. And he said, "Hey, we're doing that with the lambs, and so we we ended up kind of uh what I call r and d, which is rip off and duplicate um <laughs> we actually took his his uh his process and we started to bypass certain hospitals and we, we we took a lot of crap for that, right because everyone said, Hey, there's no data to back up what you're doing, but we always knew that what we were doing was correct, and then what you're what you're alluding to, Rob is um in 2015, uh, where the first data uh, sets came out to show that, hey, you know what, time is brain, but getting the patient to the right center first is probably the most important thing that you can do. And so finally, in 2015, we felt vindicated that the data finally showed that endovascular therapy is important for the right people in a timely fashion. And then, you know, obviously, we, we, we all had this these time frames for endovascular therapy of below six hours, Uh, And of course, TPA was, you know, four and a half and so forth. And then in the last, just in the last couple of months now, we have Dawn and Diffuse 3, which are basically now saying that you can extend that window all the way out to 24 hours. And so the pendulum has swung completely the other way towards making sure that patients who need endovascular therapy can get to the right location. So what we've done here, and I know that this is, it was a bold move a couple of years ago, we actually don't transport any patients to primary centers anymore in this county and the county above me. Um, and so um, imagine that every primary center now does not see a patient, any suspected stroke patient at all from EMS. It doesn't matter what the score is. And so what we've done, because of this most recent data, we are now activating the, um, the cath lab, if you will, from the field for patients who have you know, a race score that has, that, that's a five or greater or that has a cortical sign affiliated with it. So we, we, we can get people into the lab and their groin punctured in 45 minutes, 50 minutes, and our target is under 60 minutes, which is really unheard of, but we're doing that because EMS and the hospital have kind of come together to say that we can do this if it's the right hospital.
0: Talking about getting stroke patients to the right center or to the endovascular lab, you're basing that on the diagnosis of stroke. So you're using the race score greater than five to kind of tease out the uh, suspected elbow patients or just a stroke in general.
2: Right. Well, we were doing that a couple of years ago, and th- and then we decided that we're just going to take everyone to the comprehensive, and and now we're we're using that race to actually determine whether or not we should call ahead to the neurointerventionalist and say, hey. We have an Elvo patient. We're pretty sure of it. And so, will you open up the cath lab just on our word? Sure. And that's what, that's where the partnership came in. And so, just like with trauma, right? We have a thirty percent over triage rate. Why can't we a- accept a thirty percent over triage rate for Elvo? And that's what that's what we've done. And that took a big commitment from the hospital to do that. But once they started to see the outcomes that we have, and I'm going to present some of this at Eagles this year, then I think that th- this should be a model for the rest of the country. So, uh, again. Our region is different than any anyone else's region because we have so many resources, but we're using the race a little bit differently than other people are
0: if over triage is is acceptable, do you train on any mimics to rule out or any yeah any other scenarios sure
2: and and we, we we put out videos on this and we're happy to share it's all it's all public videos and so forth but we have we have uh, you know obviously we're, we're we're checking the blood sugar and we're doing all those things just to make sure. But at the end of the day, our medics now know that no matter what, whether it's a mimic or not, they're, they're taking a patient to a, um, a comprehensive stroke center that has the ability to, if that patient because we've seen it over and over again, right? We've seen the patient who, they have stroke symptoms that result right in, right in the back of our ambulance. And then an hour after arrival, now they have an NIH of 20 and their stroke is very severe. And oh, by the way, go right upstairs and get your clot removed in, in a very short amount of time. So um, we, we, we strongly feel that um, if you're in an environment where you have a, a comprehensive center within 20 miles or 20 minutes, let's say, uh, of, of that patient, then you should be transporting the patient to the higher level of care. And the American Stroke Association uh, had documents that supported that statement.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great, great point, Peter. And I think our listeners have all seen this clinically, maybe not in stroke if you can look at a scenario in STEMI, we've all seen a patient with a normal EKG have a yep. V-fib arrest that was, yep. uh, and then when we repeat the EKG, lo and behold, yep. they've had a vascular event and have a STEMI. Clotting's a dynamic process. And, yeah. and just like in STEMI, that same thing can occur in stroke. I was just in a meeting a couple of months ago and they presented some pretty decent data uh, that lots of patients who were admitted with two hospitals, with improving symptoms of stroke, actually about a third of them never get discharged home. They end up in in wow. rest homes because they're so disabled. So I wow. think it, that that just kind of illustrates that this the, the clot, any clotting vascular event, is a dynamic process uh, right. that can can worsen in a, at the drop of a hat. And you have to, I, I would agree completely. You need to have them in a center that can take care of that. Right,
2: and and that 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 goes back to Jordan's point earlier, which is is that every single stroke patient when they get to a hospital has to have right screening examination so there has to be cta C two perfusion done on all these patients we can't just uh limit it to uh to a a small select group of patients every single patient at these hospitals has to have a process that uh actually gives them the best shot of an out of of a best outcome and so uh and 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 i'll say it again the it's ems who goes into the hospital and says show me your process What are you doing to prove to me that I, I, as a medical director, should bring my patients here? That I, as a medical director, would want to be treated here myself? And it takes a lot of pushing, I can tell you that. Oftentimes, if there's no other hospital competition in the area, they're just going to go tell you to pound sand. And so, what we're trying to do now is we're trying to create a national movement of data transparency. So that you guys can go to your hospitals, or other people can go there and say, "Hey, look what they're doing in Broward, and Palm Beach, and why aren't we doing the same thing here?" And I think that that'll have uh, I think that large voice will actually help others make the same types of difficult changes in their own
1: community. Right. No, couldn't agree more. I think you, you mentioned it earlier. We kind of termed that the primary and secondary workup. Uh, you know, we used to have, uh, for our listeners, you know, two hard lines. You know, we had a three-hour line for stroke then a, and a four-and-a-half-hour. And now there's really one hard line. There's a four-and-a-half-hour line. And the, the six-hour line for endovascular is now 24 hours. So who needs to get worked up? Uh, our view is that, exactly like Dr. Antevi said, uh, the primary workup for every stroke patient. Really, regardless of, of initial stroke scale, should be a CT non-contrasted to rule out a bleed and then vascular imaging of the head and neck to identify any large vessel occlusions. If they're yeah. over six hours, as Dr. Antevy said, uh, between six and 24 hours now, they need a perfusion study, which is a reformatted uh, usually CT angiogram to show uh, how much brain is affected to see if they're a good candidate for reperfusion therapy so we we kind of term it that primary and secondary work up here
2: right that, that that's actually very well stated and um we're actually happy to to share our, our processes what what and what we're doing just so you guys know is that we, we we've partnered with, um, with with a large national organization I guess we're going to announce it probably at Eagles but we're, we're, we're trying to create – I know, Rob, you guys are doing a lot of work on this uh, on this as well. We're trying to create a national toolkit so that anyone can go and, and kind of just click on this website and say, I want to learn about stroke in this manner. I want to learn about the hospital side, the EMS side, and we ought to just be able to kind of spread the wealth, spread the knowledge, and give, give people all that right information so they can arm themselves. When they go into these hospital systems,
1: yeah, that was a perfect segue for our, my last question. Before I wrap it out, is uh, or wrap it up here. Is where are we going with this, Peter? Where Where do you see this going in 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 the next ten years?
2: Well, I think first and foremost, where where, where I think first, I'll start with the with the negative aspects of of the recent data. You know, what's going to happen is, and it's already happening here in my town because of, of what we've done, is that every primary stroke center is going to realize that they need to be a quote-unquote comprehensive center. And so there are now different designations coming out so that you could be a kind of um, like a primary plus or a primary, primary center that can now do endovascular therapy. So just like there is a ton of, of PCI centers uh, across the country where you can go and if you're having your STEMI, every hospital takes care of that. Hospitals are going to try and do the same thing for stroke because the stroke patient is a very high dollar value. And so my concern is, is that if you have 10 hospitals trying to do the same exact thing in a region, you're going to dilute the numbers, you're going to dilute the quality, and the patient doesn't win at the end of the day. And so just like we've done for trauma care, and the trauma system of care is very well organized, and so you cannot have 12 level one trauma centers in your area. And so you shouldn't be able to have, you know, I have nine comprehensives in my county alone. And so... What what I hope is going to happen, and we're we're trying to make a push now on the legislative end, which is just starting here, so that we don't have this proliferation, if you will, of these types of centers who only see a small number of patients and therefore the quality goes down. So that's kind of the the negative part of where we're going. But I think that that the positive part of where we're going is that EMS is going to be the driver of care. EMS has to be the driver of care. we ask for the quality data back from the hospitals, and then we say, you know what? This hospital and this hospital are doing great work. I'm going to bring my patients here. It's just basically going to raise the level of care of all the other facilities in the region. It's going to force them to hire the right people, get the right people uh, involved on the nursing side, on the tech side, and so forth. So I really hope that everyone listening here understands that let's not wait around for the hospitals to do the right thing. There are great hospitals out there. Don't get me wrong but EMS needs to nudge them in the right direction.
1: Yep. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Jordan, anything else? No, sir. Thank you for your time, Dr. Antevi. Yeah, Peter, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, You spending some time talking about stroke and sharing your expertise with us.
2: Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Jordan. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. uh, That wraps it up, guys, for another uh, episode of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. Dr. Rob Dixon, and we will see you next time.